get into the message today, I want my elders to come, and Caleb, uh, he's back there turning knobs. Can you come up, Caleb Marshall? And uh, Caleb is the son of Ken and Clem Marshall, one of our elders. Ken, you going to be okay to stand a little bit? All right, come on, man. Ken's had some back surgery here recently. Caleb is, uh, we're going to pray for him today and bless him. He has accepted a position uh, with the company in Albany and uh, is going to be moving. But uh, Clem says you got to come back at least two Sundays a month, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, but he, this, this uh, young man has been a part of this church since he was seven years old. I know he's volunteered ever since I've been here, and that's 10 or 12, 15 years or so. He seldom ever even misses a Sunday. Uh, he's done uh, so much in so many areas uh, of our ministry, and particularly on the sound team and uh, soundboard and just so many places. He's just such a blessing, and he is going to be sorely missed, and you better mind mom and come back two Sundays a month. So you, <laughs> We just want to give you this, too, as just our little token of our love and appreciation for you, Caleb, and all you've done for Grace Point Church. And uh, we just wanted to bless you, man. Did you want to say anything? Okay, I would say something. Um, put you on the spot. Yeah, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I would say, um, oh, I got to turn on this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say that uh, the, the best way to establish relationships in the congregation is through volunteering and being plugged in. Because uh, if it wasn't for me volunteering and just being plugged in in different areas, I wouldn't have met like a lot of amazing people that not only helped me as a person, but helped me spiritually and provide me with opportunities to like to speak or to just minister to different people. So my main parting words is just be just in, just volunteer and just be be involved in like ministry and stuff. Here you go. Daddy, I'm going to let you pray. Pray for him. I'm going to let you have the honor to, to bless him out of here today. Wow. Heavenly Father, let's thank you, Lord, for my son. Thank you, Lord, that he has given your, his heart to you, that he is a man of God, Lord. And Lord, I just bless him along with the congregation, Father God, and we send him out from Grace Point, Father God, full of your word, full of your love, Father God. Lord, with a willing heart, Father God, to love and to serve you, Lord, and to bring others, Father God, into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the goodness Nothing but the goodness of God to follow him, Father God, all the days of his life, Father God. 
And Lord, I just thank you, Father God, for you giving him to Clem and I, Father God, at the Grace Point, Father God, and to wherever fellowship that he's going to go to next, Father God. I pray, Lord, that he be that beacon, that he be that light, that he be that bright spot, Father God. Lord, in the house of the Lord, Father God, and I just praise you, Father God, and I thank you. Lord, we're going to miss him, Father God, but Lord, we know, Father God, that you have bigger and better things for him, Father. And I just bless him, Lord. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, Caleb, I, I feel like God, God's saying, you're stepping out, but you are also stepping up. And this is your time. When you and I have talked about this off and on through the years. And you, you are stepping out. You're, you're moving out, but you are also moving up. God's going to establish you, and you're going to start speaking it. Like people have spoken into your life and encouraged you, you're going to be that man now. That's what God's calling you to do and to be. And as your dad said, um, you know, you've got everything God needs right there. He's put it in you. Your foundation is set. Um, but God's going to just start giving you opportunity. And in a year, man, you're going to be walking on air because you're going to start seeing what God is doing through you and with you for other people. Amen. And you're going you're to set that standard, man. Amen. Today, uh, just a, it's a precious day. Uh, elders, just a reminder, y'all know that we're meeting tomorrow night at 630, so we'll see you tomorrow night. And So good to see Mima back in the house this morning, Sister Stalvey, Lynn Stalvey, and uh, we're glad to see her back. Just a precious, precious woman of God. We missed her. We're so glad to we know she's been hanging with us on Facebook, but we're glad she's here in person today and glad to have her back. And all of you, we're just delighted to have you in the house of the Lord today. I want to let you be seated. I want to talk to you today. I just simply entitling this the gospel. How many knows what the gospel means? The word gospel means literally too good to be true, nearly too good to be true. And uh, the church for so long has thought that the pure undiluted uh, good news of the gospel is too good to be true. So therefore, most of the church has incorporated some law back into it to make it palatable to, to the religious. And as we've said before, most of the church today, unfortunately, is not preaching the gospel, not the same gospel that the apostle Paul preached, because if you preach what Paul preached, you'll have to defend what you preach the way Paul had to defend what he preached. And when Paul preached the gospel, particularly in Romans, they would say, well, if what you're preaching is true, then, then let us sin all the more so that grace may abound. 
And Paul, of course, said, God forbid such foolishness. And, uh, but Paul was always having to defend two things. One was his apostleship, and two was the gospel message that he preached because he preached Christ and nothing added to it, just Christ and, and nothing else is what salvation was about. And actually, Paul dealt with this same problem with the, with the book of Galatians. Uh, six little chapters that he's dealing with them, and in that little epistle, Paul dealt with that church stronger than any letter he ever wrote to any of the churches. Uh, Paul actually defines this because what they did is the same thing that I just referenced that we have done. Uh, they have taken the grace of God, the grace message, the gospel, if you will, and then they started adding law back to it to make it more religious. And, of course, Paul was amazed. He said he was confounded by how quickly they were bewitched. He used that word, uh, that someone had bewitched them. And he said that they had turned away from the gospel to another gospel, which is not the gospel at all. That's how Paul worded it. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. Look what he says to a different gospel. Now, there's a lot of people who claim they're preaching the gospel, but they're preaching a different gospel, different than what Paul preached. And Paul said, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that that I've preached to you, he says, let him be accursed. That's strong words from the Apostle Paul. And he goes on in the fifth chapter to define something that this world still messes up. Paul described, you know, when you hear the term in, in American culture particularly, uh, they fell from grace or fallen from grace, what you think about is somebody's committed a sin. They've committed some sin and therefore they have fallen from grace. That is not what the Bible teaches. Paul defined what it is to fall from grace in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and what he said falling from grace is, is anybody who attempts to become righteous by keeping rules and regulations, by, by following the law. He said, you have estranged yourself from Christ the moment you do that. You've cut yourself off from Christ. And he said, you have fallen from grace. Because anytime that you try to make yourself acceptable to God by something that you do, you have fallen from the grace of God. And that's really what the lies of religion is. Now, a lot of people, man, they, they fill up the social media, they fill up the, the, uh, all the world with preaching, and their sermons are packed with scriptures, but they are devoid of truth. In other words, they got a lot of scriptures in there, but they're coming from the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, and, and they, they're, they're like the Pharisees that Jesus described in John 5. He, they, they diligently search the scriptures, but they, they won't come to Christ that they might just receive the free gift of life and the grace of God. And so that's really what makes religion so, so deplorable, so, so wrong. And, and when I say religion, I want to define what that is. Religion is man's attempt to impress God with what he does. It's man's attempt to try to do something to make God accept that person. And it's an attitude. It's an attitude that says, I can earn God's favor by something that I, something that I do, some benevolent act that I form, some religious thing that I do. And listen, religion may lead to a lot of charitable, benevolent works, but I want to tell you, the religious mindset is, is fatally opposed to the grace of God. 
Religion is a form of bondage. That's literally what the word religion means. It means bondage. And religion is a form of bondage that calls, uh, causes a man to stand when he should bow. And it causes a man to strut and to brag when he should be kneeling. Uh, worst of all, re religion makes uh, the person uh, as a, a co-savior. In other words, they, they become an idol worshiper because they're worshiping their own uh, endeavors and the things that they have done. And so Jesus, I've often said, did not leave heaven, come to earth, come to earth and become a man to start a new religion. Uh, Christianity or being, you know, born again is not a religion. It, it's, it's life. It's, Jesus said, I've come that you might have new life. And the life that he gave was not our old life with a paint job, as I always say. It was his life. Whose life do you have living on the inside of you? It's his life. And, and so Christ liveth in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So, so what I want to do today, and I know some of this, that you, some of this you know, some of this I'm going to say things about. Some of this that you've not heard me say before. But, but it's amazing to me. There, there was a, an article recently in, in Charisma magazine, and, and, uh, and so I named it because I wanted to. Uh, they seem to go to great lengths, you know, and that's a real popular among charismatic Pentecostal people to read that. It's more of a news. Uh, it's almost like Esquire for Christian people. But uh, it's, uh, they go to great lengths a lot of times. And, 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 and there was a recent article in there, uh, you know, warning people to be care, careful about ear-tickling preachers. And what the whole premise of the article was, was really just attacking the message of grace. And that, that was the whole thing about it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, that's, that's what religion loves. It, it loves to try to, to get, you know, a, to you save your own self. And uh, so I want to give you some things. I just want to give you, I don't know how many I'll, I'll get to, uh, but I want to give you some lies of religion. And the first one I want to give you is God is keeping score. In other words, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. You know the rest of it, right? He's going to find out who's been naughty or who's been nice. I, I think we got Jesus confused with somebody else, right? That's, not, that's another guy wears a red suit. That's not Jesus. And, and the, the picture of God keeping a record of your sins is not the picture that Jesus brought and gave us of a forgiving, loving Father. That, that's not the message. And, and religion says God is recording everything you're doing, and when you stand before him, he's going to play the video. I mean, I literally remember sitting in church services hearing preachers say that, that, that they, when we stand before God, they're going to play a big video, and all your secret sins and all that you've done in darkness is going to be played for the whole world to see. Anybody besides me said under that foolishness and that kind of lie. Look at all the hands that went up. I mean, all, and, and it's a, it's a, nothing could be further from the truth. So what does the Bible say? The, the gospel truth is that God's not recording your sins. He's not following you with a ledger book writing down your wrong. In fact, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ. He was reconciling the world to himself. And look what it says, not imputing their trespasses to them. That means he's not recording them. He's not counting them. You, you have, your, your sin account has a zero balance. It always carries a zero balance. And, and see, most people have never heard the gospel. 
Not even one time. I'm, I'm talking about not the pure, undiluted gospel. And people that have heard the gospel either don't understand it or they get confused about it because of all the law that's mixed with it. I mean, I, I don't go one week on Facebook without seeing people, you know, warning people, admonishing people, threatening people, and quoting stuff that's so far from the Bible it's ridiculous. And then you'll look under the comments and there'll be 15, 20, or 30 people that'll go, Amen. And that's right, you know, and, and, and all this foolishness. But the Bible's clear on that. God doesn't keep a record of your sins. Uh, and it says it in multiple places in the New Testament Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, God says their, law, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, you're either going to believe the Bible or you don't believe. But if you believe the Bible, I just told you God don't remember your sins. So that kind of blows up. I'll give you an addendum here. That blows up that the Holy Spirit is convicting me of my sin. Holy Spirit's not convicting any believer of their sin. See, you don't say amen loud on that one because you just don't even know if what I said is true or not. Because you've heard it so. Holy Spirit convicted me. Holy Spirit ain't convicting you of sin because the Holy Spirit's God. And for him to convict you of sin, he'd have to be remembering your sin. Right? You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. No, the Holy Spirit. And see, right now, some of you are searching. You go, well, I thought that's in the Bible. Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit in John, the Spirit of truth, he called him. He said he convicts the world of sin, for they know not God. The only convicting the Holy Spirit's doing is trying to convict the world of sin and let them see that so that they know they need a Savior named Jesus. But once you're born again, God's not chasing you with a ledger book of your sin. God's not convicting you. All God's trying to do, the Holy Spirit in a believer, is trying to convince you that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's all he's trying to do because the word convicting is the same word convince. But you tell an American, you say convict, they admit their mind immediately goes to a judge, courtroom, electric chair, whatever. You know? But the Holy Spirit is trying to convince the believer that they are now righteous, so live righteous. Amen. You don't do righteous to become righteous. You do righteous because you are righteous. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I saw just I was Thursday or Friday on Facebook, somebody put this thing, you know, and and, and just because these, these some of these preachers, you know, these, you know, that were famous back in the 1700s, but that don't mean they were right. And you can put up their quotes, and it was saying, you know, it was, and basically what it was was just, you know, you, you, in other words, you better live holy so you can be holy. No, you live holy because you are holy. Yes, Holiness is a gift. What makes you holy? God says you're holy because he lives within you. The Holy One, it says, lives within you. You have received the Holy One on the inside. That's what makes you holy. Nothing you do makes you holy. And I know and get it, and we all do. We don't, you don't always behave holy. You don't act holy. You don't walk holy. You don't talk holy. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that's just the reality of this flesh that we're in. Right? So God's not keeping score. Number two, God is mad at you. That's the lie of religion. God's mad at you. In other words, they say, sure, God loves you, but when you sin now, he gets angry. There's times that God's anger, you know, and God's wrath is there. That's, that's just a religious lie. That's not what the Bible teaches all. You know, the Bible says God is love. He doesn't have love. 
He, he is love. And listen, I want to tell you something that you can always rest assured on. Every, everything he does, everything God does is an expression of his love for you. Everything. Now listen, if the wrath of God scares you, if you, as a believer, if you think about the wrath of God and it brings fear to you, then you got the wrong picture of wrath because the Bible said there is no fear in love. That's 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear. It didn't say there's a little fear. There's no fear in love. Now, I've said this one to you many times. Uh, any, any preacher, anybody, I don't care preacher who, whatever, anybody that proclaims to you and presents to you an angry God is, is lying. Just, just plain and simple, that'll get me some emails, but I don't care. I love to delete them. Send them on. It's just a lie. I don't mean that they got some satanic, diabolical plan to lie to you. I mean just maybe out of ignorance. But, it, but it's a lie nonetheless. Isaiah 54, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Covenant is, is prophesying about the New Covenant that is coming. And, and what he says, that God says in verse 9 of Isaiah 54, God says that this new covenant that I'm bringing is a huge deal. It's a big deal. And he says, it is, for it is like the waters of Noah to me. Now that sets it in a category by itself. And he says, for as I have sworn. Now when God swears, you can just go to the bank with that one, understand. You, you understand what I mean? Now, if God makes a promise, you know, in our lives, you have to contend sometimes for the promise. You have to claim the promise. But if God says, I swear, it's done. You, you ain't got nothing to do with it. And, and, and it says, this is like the waters of Noah to me. And he said that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, just like I swore that. I swear to you that I will not be angry with you, nor will I ever rebuke you. It's just right there. God says, when this new covenant is coming, and this is the context of that verse. He's talking about the new covenant. He said, I will not be angry with you anymore. I can't tell you how many times that I have grown up in all my life in the church, and I have heard people uh, prophesy, you know, uh, interpret a message in tongues, and it was, just, it, was just, it was just fire and brimstone. I remember when I was an evangelist for six years, I'd go to a particular church in a particular county, and, and I don't hardly re ever remember going to that church and starting a revival there, and I had many of them. And I'd get there, and there'd be this one guy, and he would speak out in tongues, and we believe in that. It's New Testament. But then he'd turn around and interpret it, and it would just be this, the fire beat the hell out of people, you know, word. And I, I, I remember looking over at the preacher once. I said, man, he must not have his coffee this morning. That was no, nowhere near God. See, the only difference between me and that guy, if I'm pastoring that church, I'm going to say, whoa, 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 brother, time out, have a seat. I'm going to say, ushers, take this guy out and uh, convince him of the grace of God. I mean, it's, it's just not God. It's, it's just not God. I was telling some of our leaders, we had a leaders meeting with our community group leaders this week, and and I, and I don't mean this mean, and I don't mean this boastful or arrogant. I mean, it's hard for you to really know what's in my heart, I guess, hearing me talk sometimes. But that's the only way I know to communicate it. But, you know, we, we had a guy some years ago that there was a, and this, you know, a lot of these people are not even here now, but this, this preacher that, that came here at that time had a friend, and he was a prophet, and he wanted me to meet him, and, and he wanted him to come and preach. And, I, you know, and I, so, you know, so, so I met the guy. 
And I remember I had lunch with him at, at, a, at, a, at a Cracker Barrel in our, in our town here. And, and, you know, nice guy and sweet guy. And I, he loves God. And, you know, and, and while he was sitting there, he actually spoke a, a prophetic word to me that was accurate. I, I, you know, it was accurate to me. And it was about a, a, a family relationship. And, and I, that's pretty cool, you know, and, and God can do that. And, I, and I, I've been used like that, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it's called a gift. And, uh, and, and so, you know, uh, not based on just that one deal, but, you know, spent time, talked for, you know, a couple hours. And so I said, sure, come, come and preach. And he came here and preached. And I introduced him, and he preached. And everything was going good. Until he got to the point in his message, preaching here, standing, holding this mic to you guys, that he was in a certain city and God revealed to him that there was a guy that was an adulterer. And so he publicly called him out and told him he was an adulterer and rebuked him publicly in front of the church. And the response that I got out of most of the people here at that particular time grieved me as a pastor of this church because it was like that was a good thing. What I wanted the guy to get was stone silence. But it was like a lot of people in here, they thought that was cool. And then that was bad enough, and I'm thinking like right there, that was bad enough. And then he follows it and says that then the guy goes to, you know, he said, then I was in another city, you know, some months later, and, and there the guy was in there again, and he said he called him out a second time and called him adultery and rebuked him a second time. And that means if you had to call him out a second time, what you did the first time didn't work either. And see, and then, and then it, was, it even brought more response from the church here and some laughter and like, you know, get him, preacher. God don't do that. Your understanding of who God is better come from Jesus. Because if it don't come from Jesus, you're going to get a wrong image of God. This is the New Testament, Hoss. We are not, you're not an old covenant prophet. Your name ain't Isaiah nor Ezekiel. Okay, And Jesus does not call out people's sins and rebuke them. That's not how people come to repentance. Nobody will ever repent because you scream at them to repent. Repent means to change the way you think about God, yourself, and His, His Word and His world. That's what the word repent means. When the, Jesus said repent, he wasn't saying come to the altar, cry, tell me how sorry you've done. He was saying change the way you think. I've come with new wine. The old wine is done. You can't put the old and the new together. This is a new covenant. This is a totally new covenant, a new way to relate to my father. So I knew sitting on the front row, this guy has just preached his last sermon at Grace Point Church. Doesn't mean I hate the guy, and the guy actually called me later, sometime later, wanted to come back. Puts me in a very awkward position. And I just, I, I don't remember how I slobbered through it. You know, we good right now, hallelujah. And I love the guy, and I know the guy's a Christian, and he loves God, and he's going to heaven and all that kind of deal, but you ain't going to preach here. Because you don't understand grace. That's law. And it don't work. And Jesus would never do that. The woman caught an act of adultery. Jesus didn't point He didn't do that. And so I can't let you do that here. Because I'm a shepherd and I'm going to stand before God give an account of who I let feed you. And it's, it's important. 
It's important. And you go, well, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal to me. Because you're injecting something in my folk. You're putting a, you're putting a, a shot of, of poison in them. You're letting them think that's the way Papa is. If why why just holler that guy's sins out? You don't think that church was full of sinners? Let's just holler everybody's out then. <laughs> See, when I get out in front of the pulpit, that's why I need to go back and get back to the notes and all. See, religion, if you want, that riles me up. Because religion damns more people than any kind of thing that I know Satan's ever come up with. I've pastored religious people. They're, you can't pastor them. They're holier. They know more because they've done more. And then they judge everybody else according to their works. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. So God is not an angry God. You can't make God angry. And, and just as a side note, when, and, and God, so that kind of takes away all the sermons that God's judging America and he's sending the Katrinas and he's sending the floods to Houston and he's sending the earth. God's not doing any of that. This is not heaven. It's not. Uh, Number three lie of religion is God's punishing you. God's punishing you for your wrong. What you're going through is because you're being punished. Uh, your revelation, as I just said, from, about God must come from Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, and if you, if you can just swallow that, your revelation of God, Jesus come to show us the Father. Remember they said, show us the Father, Jesus. Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For he and I are one. I, the Father's not different than me, and I'm not different from the Father. The Father's not the old man, you know, with a big club trying to kill off a bunch of people, and I'm the kindly son that's trying to put my you know, hands in the chest of my Father and try to keep him from killing all y'all. And the Holy Spirit's not a bird. That's not the picture of the Trinity. We have one God, one God, who manifests himself in three personalities, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's it. And uh, your revelation has to come from Jesus. So if, if that's true then, then how many people did Jesus punish? How many storms did Jesus send anywhere when he walked the earth? I see him rebuking storms. I don't see him sending any. How many sick people did ever come to Jesus and Jesus said, no, nah, my papa will give you this sickness. I'm, we got to leave this one alone. How many? How many people did Jesus make sick so they could learn a lesson? How many people did Jesus lay hands on and gave them leprosy? How many people did Jesus give cancer to? How many people did Jesus give tumors to? God's not punishing you. As I've always said, I'm not making light of sin. I'm making much of Jesus. Sin comes with consequences. You robbed a bank. They're going to lock you up. Don't ride in the back of the car on the way to the jail going, God's trying to teach me something. God ain't trying to teach you nothing. God can redeem anything that happens in your life if you'll just hand it over to him. God can win with any hand he's dealt. 
you, you, God can win with any hand he's dealt. If you, you can, you, God will redeem. But just because God redeems a tragedy in your life does not mean God was behind that tragedy. God is not the author of your pain. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. God didn't cause that to happen. God didn't put you in jail. God didn't cause that car. God didn't do those things. God didn't do that. God didn't do it. But the church, well, Lord's trying, you know, Lord's in control. God's not in control. That's a whole nother one. God's not in control. You in control. You in control. God's not in control. <laughs> uh, get my book is chapter one. God's in charge. God's not in control. Uh, the gospel truth is God's not punishing you. Religion loves to wield that big stick of punishment in order to keep you in line, buddy. But the gospel is this one got me probably more the the bible teaches that you as a believer are unpunishable by god that's what it means y'all romans 8 and 1 there is now therefore no condemnation the word they translated into the english word condemnation is the same greek word as many times punishment same word there's no punishment in God. I remember I preached and blogged on, you are unpunishable. Did that bring out the religious devils? They just can't even fathom that. When, when I say that as a Christian, you are unpunishable by God. You're not unpunishable by the law. Break the law, they're going to punish you. But it's not God. God's not doing it to you. Stop blaming him. Stop living. And see, if, if, if you think God's behind it, you'll just sit there and take it. The Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus, Isaiah 53 and 5. And then the other thing, how, how shall God punish a person twice for one offense? In other words, how can God punish two different people for one wrong? If Jesus Christ took my sins... And he stood as my substitute, and he endured the wrath and the punishment that came because of that sin. Then, then how could God punish another person, me, for the same sin that Jesus already bore the penalty and punishment for? I mean, even this court in America won't do that. They won't charge two different people for the same crime. You got to decide who's, who's bearing the punishment here. Jesus bore it all. Jesus either paid it all or paid none of it at all. Jesus paid it all. That's why he gets all the glory. Because he bore all the pain. Come on, y'all. Number four lie of, of the religious is that God sometimes makes you sick to teach you things. Makes you sick. God doesn't give cancer to teach you character. God uh, uh, doesn't do those kind of things. I told you he can redeem, but he doesn't, he, he's, not the, he's not behind it. Now, under the old covenant, people got sick as a consequence of breaking the law. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And, and diseases and sicknesses were considered curse of the law. But Jesus, the Bible said, has redeemed us from the curse of the law now. We, we, we've been redeemed. And so religious says that God teaches us with sickness and, and Jesus teaches us, you know, you know, by giving us sickness and disease. God, God doesn't do that. And it's almost, I, I, I'm, I'm really amazed that I even have to say that. But it's blasphemous and it's idiotic to conceive of a God who would give somebody something as diabolical as a disease. 
God, God would never do that. Would you do that to your kid? Would you purposely infect them with some terminal disease just to teach them a lesson? I mean, they'll lock you up for that. Would you take your kid's hand, smash it on the eye of a hot red stove, burn their hand just so you could teach them that that's hot? They'll lock you up for that. That's child abuse. God's not a child abuser. God loves his kids. God doesn't do stuff like that. He never has done stuff like that, and he never will. Can you say amen? Number five, live religion. God gives and takes away. People love to quote that one now. The Lord giveth, brother there, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a real popular religious quote. And who are they quoting there? Job. And just because Job said it, that makes it right, huh? Is everything Job said true? No. That right there is right at the head of the, the, the column. See, I'm a follower of Jesus, not a follower of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Job. The Bible itself, and I don't have time to go through that, and I've written about it, and you can go to my DaleYoung.net, and you can read a whole article, you know, and I titled it, What About Job? What About Job? Because it, it, it's been preached that Job was just this great person. I mean, Job was self-righteous. Job was bitter against God. Uh, I can give you verses for it. Job was suicidal. Job spoke a lot of rubbish. And Job himself said, I have spoken about things, Job 42 and 3, that I did not understand. He said, I had only heard about God by the hearing of the ear, and now I have seen him face to face, and I hate myself. I hate that I was so stupid to make all those comments and accusations against a God who is so good. That's what Job was saying. You got to give him a little credit. He didn't have the Bible to read. All he was reading was his circumstances. And sometimes the friends that come over to comfort didn't help too much. Because they were just as ignorant of God as, as, as he was. But religious people love to quote Job and, and, and all this kind of stuff. L listen, and, 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 you know, they say all this crazy stuff. You know, your baby died because God needed another angel in heaven. I see it every week on Facebook. Heaven, heaven has gained another angel. Heaven has not gained another angel. If it does, it's because God created them, but not because somebody on earth died. When you die, you're not going to be an angel. You're going to be a higher being than that. You're not going to be an angel. You know, somebody said, well, God took your job. You know, that's why they fired you, because you was enjoying it too much. <laughs> I mean, man, I can need to write another book about the crazy stuff I've heard Christians say. Say, man, your car was, you know, your car was stolen because it probably had become an idol in your life. That's why you washed it so much. That's probably why the Lord sent that thief in there to get it. Trying to teach you something. Not to make your car an idol. <laughs> just they just go on and on and on. It's just stupid stuff like that. that Christians, they try to figure out why they had a flat tire. You know, oh, Lord, trying to teach you something about a flat tire. You had a flat tire because you ain't changed your tires out in years. Now you're running on baldage. That's why you had a flat tire. That's <laughs> why. Goodyear might be trying to teach you something, but God ain't trying to teach you anything. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us, Jesus. God, the, the, the truth is this. God does not give and take away. Don't ever quote that like that's true. The Bible says, I don't know if you care about it, what it says, but what the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine 29 is, is, is the gifts of God are irrevocable. That means if God ever has given you a gift, he will never take it away. 
That's what the Bible says. Not the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, no, God gives because, listen, if the Lord gave and then he took away, if I gave you something, if I gave you something, and then I come to your house six months later and take it, you're going to call the popo on me and define me as a thief. Or either I'm going to call you a liar, you're going to call me a liar and say you never really gave it to me. You just loaned it then. See, it makes God out the thief, but we don't confuse who's the thief. The thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life. So God does not give you anything and then later come and take it from you. That would make God a thief. Right? So if the Lord gives, he never takes away. Rest in that. And, and, and something might be taken away from you, but it wasn't God that did it. Okay, number six, God might reject you as a lie of religion. God may reject you now. And so, you know, they, and, they, and a lot of times they'll use these verses. You know, remember the unfruitful branches were broken off and cast into the fire. And if you're not fruitful, then God will break you off and cast you into the fire. When, when, Paul, when Jesus was addressing those things, he was talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he says that, the, and, and, and Paul deals with it in Romans 11 as well. He says that, that the, the um, Jews... Were broke. And, say, and it never says God broke them off. It says they were broken off by their own unbelief as, as, as a people. And, and, and God didn't break off unfruitful branches. Jesus never said that one time, nor did the Apostle Paul ever say it one time. And religion wants you to work really hard and make yourself acceptable. You know, and it's, it's, it's just a lie of the, of the enemy. Nothing, listen, nothing can make you more acceptable and pleasing to God than you already are right now. And, and some of the songs that you guys sung this morning said that very thing. Okay? Number seven, God's favor can be earned. That's a live religion. Somehow that you can do something to earn God's favor. Listen to me. H- hear me now because this, this one happens a lot. We talk a lot about the favor of God. And listen, you have favor by birth. Okay, now, now we do pray for favor, but only with men. In other words, when I pray for favor, I'm not asking God to favor me because that would be denying his favor. I'm only saying because God, we need favor with God and man. So I'm asking God to give me favor with the people that I got to deal with. Because they're no go ahead just like me, and God needs to just, you know, sprinkle them a little bit with... <laughs> Pay attention to this boy, he's trying to help you, you know, something like that. <laughs> but I'm asking for favor with the people. You understand? But I'm not asking for favor. Now, as a young Christian, when I was ignorant of this, I prayed for God's favor and, and, and wasn't sure how to get it, really, and wasn't sure when, even when I had it. You, you have favor by birth. You understand? So your kid, you took your kid home from the hospital because they were yours. And you loved them because they were your kid. That favor... And that care and that love came by birth. Are you with me? All right, number eight, you need to be more sin conscious as a live religion. You need to be sin conscious. I remember sitting right here in my office at church one day. A lady come on me and be involved in some community thing here. And, uh, you know, Christian lady, I'm sure she loves the Lord. And uh, if she's watching on Facebook, you know, sorry. But, uh, <clears throat> but she, she met with me and was real kind and wanted us to be involved. And, and she said, you know, Brother Dale, you know what trouble with church is today? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> no, I said, no, man. She said, we need to be more sin conscious. 
She said, we need more preaching against sin like the old-timey preachers used to do. We need to call sin, sin, and we need to, we need to preach hard against sin. And I was sitting there, and, and uh, one of the people on staff with me was sitting in there with me, and she looked at me because she knew I wasn't going to leave that lay in there. She knew I couldn't leave that lay in there. <clears throat> and I tried to be as kind and delicate as I can, but I said, ma'am, I just need to say this to you. That's not what is wrong with the church, and that's not what we need. So what we need is more grace of God. We need a revelation of the grace of God. That's what the church is dying for. And she didn't say much more after that. Sin consciousness, listen to me. Sin consciousness is the strongest indicator of a religious mindset that there is. Gifts and sacrifices that you make will never do anything to clear the guilty conscience that you have on the inside of you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, says that all those sacrifices they did in that old covenant system were symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to their conscience. It can't do it. There is not a gift or sacrifice that you can make that will clear your conscience. Nothing you can do. There's not a thing you can ever do that will clear your conscience. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 14, how much more so shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, listen to that, cleanse your conscience from dead works to, the living, to serve the living God. The only thing that will ever clear a person's conscience so that they feel clean is the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's it. The only remedy for the religious mindset is the blood of Jesus and, 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 and to, to put your faith in that shed blood of Christ. Listen, through his one sacrifice, one-time sacrifice, he, he paid for the sin of the world, the Bible says. And so Jesus done away with sin. Sin was a problem. That's why Jesus came and, and, and sacrificed himself. But because of Jesus, sin is no longer a problem. It causes problems in people's lives. But I'm talking about between God and man. God's not angry. God's not upset. And God's not punishing mankind. Jesus bore all of that. So what is the problem then today? If sin's not the problem, preacher, what's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is whether or not you choose to believe in the sufficiency of Christ and, the, and, the, and, the, and to believe in the finished work of the cross. That's the problem. R religion will keep you focused on your unworthiness and on your sin. But grace keeps you focused on Jesus and his worthiness and what he paid for on your behalf. Amen? All right, last one. This last one. Got to do this one quick. God doesn't really love you. What a lie. He loves you, but he's angry with you. He, he, he's keeping score. He's punishing you. The hardships you're going through because you're being paid back. I don't know how many times as a pastor I've sat in my office over all these years. For some reason, this one was something that repeated itself often with different people. I'd see a younger couple. Uh, the, the lady uh, would have a, a, a miscarriage. You know what I mean by that? And she'd have a miscarriage, lose the baby. They would sit in my office. They would come in for prayer, counseling, or whatever. She'd be, they'd be sitting there crying and saying, I don't know how many times I've heard this statement uttered. They would say, I, I guess I'm just being paid back, uh, you know, for being, you know, sexually immoral or 
or, you know, we had sex before marriage, so I guess that's why, you know, that I'm being paid back and, my, and the Lord took my baby and all. Or, and I'm talking about tears rolling down. These people are hurting, man. I, I've seen that and repeated numerous times, more than I count on one hand. It broke my heart every time. And not only at this church, at the church I started, I heard the same thing. And I said, listen, God's not paying you back. That's not why you had a miscarriage and you lost your baby. It's got nothing to do with any sin you've committed in the past. It's just ridiculous. It's just a lie. And the enemy is so abusive and he's so mean and he's so hard. And, and there is a person hurting already and then he's piling lies on top of that and just digging the, and the knife in deeper and hurting those folks. The, 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 the God that Jesus revealed is nothing at all like that. Nothing. God's your Father in heaven. He loves you. He holds nothing against you. He keeps no record of your sin. He's not wanting to crush you. He's not, he's not wanting to get you. He's wanting to, to draw you to himself through his Son. And, and, and he says that I sing over you. I rejoice over you with singing is what he says about you. He actually says you're the apple of his eye. Man, I look at my grandbabies and, I, man, I'm just, my wife will look at me so many times and she'll say, you've got a problem. She has said that within the last few days. And I admit, when she's, every time she says it, I said, I know. You see, she's saying that because I can't say no, I can't. I'm just a bowl of mush. When my little Addie Boo or any of my grandbabies, they, they, I'm just a mush bowl. And she'll just she'll get aggravated because she's tougher than I am. She don't, might not look like it, but she comes from tough stock. That woman's tough. And she'll, she'll just say, you've you got a problem. And she'll say, you need to do this or do that or stop this, whatever, you know. I was carrying them to the toy store yesterday. And, and, and I'm, I'll go in there and I'll just spend way more than I need to because I can't say no to them. So I told her yesterday, I said, now I promised I'm carrying them and I'm going to carry them to the toy store at the mall. But I said, this is what I've done now. Just try to keep her quiet there a little bit. I said, I give them each $20 and I said, all right, now that's all you get. You, you, you can buy whatever that, that $20 gets you. And I pretty close hand stayed to that. <laughs> but Sister Jill, when we drove off, she thought, well, he's doing better. <laughs> Don't look at that visa when it comes in next month. <laughs> God loves us more than that. When you bring up God's promises to him, he can't say no. Because all of his promises for you, he said, or yes, and amen, which means let it be so. So when you come to God with a promise and say, Father, your word promises us this, God says, yes, let it be so in your life. That's, and, and, well, what if it don't happen instantly? You claim that promise. You stand in faith. What are you standing on? Your ability to quote something? No, you're standing in Jesus. You're standing in the gospel truth is God loves you unconditionally, no strings attached. He doesn't love you because you do good or because you kept the rules or because you're a good person. He loves you because he is love and he's your father and that's amen and that's the end and don't listen to the lies of religion. Stand to your feet, okay? <laughs> amen. Everybody doing good? I hate you have to come and listen to all this bad news, I mean good news. That's the gospel. It is nearly too good to be true news. I can't tell you how good it does me like to see she's zipping up her Bible there. Jennifer Yates, bless you, darling. We love you. We, you know, lost her husband not too many months ago. And, uh, boy, to see her walk up front this morning 
and, and, and the particular song that was being sung at that time, that God's enough. I don't know if that was your motive for coming up, but was it? And, uh, but I caught, I caught her, you know, walking up during that, and it was a song, and the words were being sung, that God's enough, he's more than enough. And, and I looked, and here she slipped out of her seat, and she came to this front, and she held those hands up. Boy, that touched me. I don't know what it's like to lose a spouse, but she does. But apparently to her, she said, God's still more than enough. And Terry's with the Lord. We know where he's at. And we're, you know, we, we miss him, but we rejoice because of his life for Christ. But man, that just, see, that's what coming to church does that you can't get through Facebook. And I'm not condemning that. And we're glad to be on Facebook. And we're, I, I was at the First Baptist Church watching my, uh, one of my uh, grandbabies have a piano recital Friday night. And, uh, and so I, we was there, and after that service, a lady uh, you know, said to me that, and, and she hadn't been here in many, many years, and we love her, and she may be watching today, but it encouraged me so much. She said, you know, I, I listen to you uh, every week, uh, every week, and, and, and what a blessing this church is and the message. And, and she said, when I want the truth, I know I'm going to get the truth by by listening to you, and, 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 and it, it, it just blessed me, you know, and that's what somebody told me, even another person this week, they said, you don't realize, you probably have no clue, and they don't either of how many people are listening, and, and how this message is going across, but we love for people to be here, you know, and we love for people to be in the building, it's, it's because the Bible says, you know, fail not the assembling is of yourself so much more, thereby encouraging one another and so just like that little act today I, I hate to put you on spot, but it just so encouraged me I looked down and it made me feel like my problems were a lot less than I was thinking they were but, and I said look at you know and she's worshiping the Lord and I knew those words had to be touching her heart God is more than enough that Jireh Jehovah Jireh he's more than enough and to just to see her and and, and so I was encouraged by that, and I'm sure probably several of you were too, as you saw her uh, down here. And, and I'm, you know, again, Jennifer, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but it just, but that's what church is about. When I see you going through tough times and tough places, and and and, and these other folks, they know you and they see that too. You, it just, it's just like getting an inject, injection of courage in you. You know what? Thank you, God, and just you see that heart in worship and praise. So, so. Um, as always, if you guys ever need prayer, want prayer, want us to pray with you, me and elders, and man, it's our honor to serve you guys and pray with you and believe God for you and with you, and and we believe in that. We want, we always want to do that. So I'm never just shooing you out of here, kind of a deal. And uh, so you're you're free to come down front, and if more of you can come, you know we'll, you know, with the elders, they know how to watch for you, and they'll they'll come help me pray. But I want to pray for you before you go. And Father, we love you, and we're loved by you, and we're amazed by that. We're amazed, God, and I just pray that you'd help us to be carriers of the message of the grace of God and that those lies of the religious enemy, that, that he, he speaks those lies to, to, to defraud us and to declare that you're not as good as the Word of God says you are. God, you're more, you're more than enough. And so we bless you today. We thank you for the grace of God, the gospel of God, that is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe it. We receive it, we declare it, and proclaim it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, God bless you guys. We love you.